that you do not uh, remain aloof and uh, separated from what happens in your creation, but Father, you're actively involved in it. Your, your power, your sovereignty, your rule, and your will come to bear upon the lives of your people in this creation. And when you speak, Father, things happen. When you act, history is changed and we are changed. And for this, we are eternally grateful. Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for blessing us with the gift of your Son and all that entails. <coughs> it's our prayer, Father, that as we study this text tonight, that you will give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, to see in our, our mind's eye and, and to know in our mind and to feel the love uh, well up in our heart, the greatness of this, this act. Thank you, Father, for all of the blessings that we have in this life, but especially for those that are found in Jesus. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Our passage tonight involves some shepherds. Shepherds. These are the men who herded livestock for a living. They were also at the bottom of the social structure. In our, our own culture, uh, we've all heard somebody described as a guy that cusses like a sailor. Well, Israel did not have a navy, and so in those days they would have said something like, he cusses like a shepherd. Shepherds were not that great morally speaking. Fairly or unfairly, the character of a shepherd was not highly regarded in Israel during this period of time. And so it's worth noting that these angels did not bring the wonderful message of Christ's birth to those that had a lot of influence. They did not appear to the wealthy. They did not appear to political or religious leaders. They appeared to shepherds out in the field. They came to the least significant, least respected, least likely people in the community. In other words, when God's messenger said that He came to bring good news to all people, He demonstrated it by starting at the very bottom. There was one angel at first, out there in the middle of the night, maybe Gabriel, the text doesn't say. But then He is joined in verse 13 with a great company of angels. The NET Bible says suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel. You know, when you think about the awesomeness of one angel showing up and you hit the turf and bury your face in the ground with one angel, how deep do you think that they tried to dig in when that multitude, that vast army of angels showed up, appeared in that night sky? And then in verse 11, that first angel that appeared brought them some news. He said, Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this angel gave specific instruction as to where this baby Jesus could be found in the town of Bethlehem. And then all of the angels brought in the form of a great hymn of praise, which means that there was probably some time given in heaven to the composing of this praise song. It was a commentary on the good news of the birth of this child. 
It's called the Gloria because that's the first word in the Latin version of this song in the Vulgate. It's the Gloria. It begins by focusing on the one who set these events in motion. The one who controls all events on earth. The one who dwells in the highest place. In the loftiest of places. And they say that because of what has happened, because of who this baby is, the people that see this baby for who he truly is are going to be filled with joy. Joy until their joy sensors can accept no more. And they're going to say things like, my life was a mess and you gave me a purpose. Or my life was out of control, but now it has purpose and direction because of the Christ. Or maybe I was wandering out in this world, lost and alone. I had been rejected by everyone. But this one found me. And probably ending it with words like, God be glorified, God be praised. But then the song continues in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. One of the the great gifts of the birth of this baby, one of the great gifts of Christmas, is peace on earth in the place of stress on earth. These, These shepherds, like every other person on earth, were peace needers. They were desperately in need of that kind of peace. One of the things that we don't need is a lesson on war. We need lessons on peace. We need lessons on this great Hebrew word, shalom. Shalom is one of the most beautiful words in all of the world. Shalom is not the absence of conflict, but it's the blossoming of harmony. Harmony in families. And harmony in neighborhoods to the extent that law enforcement and the counseling community would no longer be needed. There is even a shalom of the body. Right now, we age and we break down. I was in a meeting this afternoon and looked down at my hands and noticed that some of the hairs on my hand are turning white. We age and, and we, break, we break down. We donate our bodies to science. I was thinking to myself as I was looking at that hand that maybe I should donate my body to science fiction. Shalom is a harmony in the body to the extent that diseases vanished as would the need for hospitals and doctors. But most importantly, shalom was about a harmony with God that made prophets and preachers no longer needed. Isaiah was given a vision of it nearly 3,000 years ago. That great 11th chapter that we looked at this morning at some of the Scripture slides, the prophet talks about the wolf will live with the lamb. That's shalom. Wolves and lambs together. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra. But the young child and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither what? Harm. 
They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That sounds almost too good to be true. Is it possible that one day we will not need cemeteries, hospitals, the counseling centers, preachers? Isaiah thought it was possible that the whole earth would be full of shalom and it would happen that, 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 that shalom would happen when the king appeared. And so we have the first five verses of that great 11th chapter. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. We all know Jesse. Father of David. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. It's an amazing text. And it makes sense of something that, that Isaiah wrote two chapters earlier. He said in, in, in chapter 9, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called what? Wonderful Counselor. Say it with me. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end of the increase of His government. Of the increase of His peace, of His shalom, there will be no end. When the angels in Luke chapter 2 are singing about peace on earth, it's more than just a beautiful night in the country. They are singing about this child prophesied in Isaiah 9 and Isaiah chapter 11. They were saying in song form to these shepherds in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, on the other side of Jerusalem, that the old prophets were not crazy, especially Isaiah. They were saying to these peace needers that the peace creator is being born. Being born. Think carefully about how shalom, how peace became a core part of Jesus' ministry. In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman who is a known sinner. Everybody in town knew that she was a sinner. And she comes to Jesus while he's at a dinner party. It was a, a, a very unseemly thing to do. And there's no peace in her life. She wets his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. You know the story. She anoints Jesus with oil. There's a little bit of an argument that breaks out among the disciples about the waste. What does Jesus say to her? He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Go in peace. In the very next chapter, there's a woman with a bleeding issue. And because she is considered unclean in her culture, she has not experienced relational shalom in ages. In fact, the financial shalom has been taken away from her because she spent everything she had on doctors and they couldn't do her any, any, any good. Her, her physical shalom has been taken away. But she feels terrible. Bleeding for all of these years. Anemic and weak. And because she's considered unclean in her culture, there is no shalom for her. She has no shalom in her body. Because her body is at war with itself. But she comes to Jesus and sort of in a, a stealthy way, she reaches out and touches the fringe of His garment. And she's healed. Just like that. Peace. Could you imagine all of those years of suffering and struggle and not being able to, to be in contact with people relationally the way that you want. Financially, you're devastated. The pain in your body going on for years. The frustration, the disappointment, the disillusionment. And then all of a sudden, just by touching His garment all in faith, all of that is gone. The, the sense of peace would be overwhelming. And Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples look at Him and they say, are you nuts? There's a crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, somebody touched me. I felt the power go out. And she comes before him. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples after the resurrection is, peace be with you. Do you know why Jesus says that? Because He can. Jesus says He is the one who gives the peace. He is the one that gives the shalom. There are all, uh, uh, an awesome number of claimants. There are many that claim to give the peace, but they do not believe, d deliver. And the reason is, is because they lack peace themselves, biblically speaking, because of the direct result of the presence of sin in their life. Because of sin, we need policemen and we need barbed wire and we need prisons. Sin is the reason that there are hospitals. Sin is the reason that there are lawyers and judges to sort things out. Sin is the reason that there are preachers. Sin is behind the motivation for me to look out for me and for you to look out for you. Sin is why someday this body will fail and be put in a box. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6. Paul says to the church in Colossians, though, that God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. That is Jesus. The fullness of God is dwelling in Jesus and through Him to reconcile to Himself. That is to reconcile to God all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace through His blood shed on the cross. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus suffered according to Scripture for our sin. 
In the coming days, I guarantee you can receive no greater gift, no greater blessing than to know this peace, this peace of God, this peace that passes all understanding because you have peace with Him. With Him. And I dare say you will not experience this kind of peace until you are converted to the One who was born in Bethlehem. You know, the Scripture is full, so many places, of God being on the side of the poor, of God looking out for the needs of widows and of orphans and of commanding His people to do the same. Have you ever thought really why? I mean, there's obviously a benevolent part of this, a component to this, when, when God says you need to take care of those that can't take care of themselves, that there is something loving in that and there's something benevolent, and it's taking care of people that God cares about. It's all said uh, in, in such a way to, to remind us on a regular basis that this is the will of God. But why such a fuss about it? Why such an emphasis? Why such, why such an emphasis on taking care of the poor and taking care of the downtrodden and all of that? Is because every time that we do that, it is a reminder of how God loves us. Every time that we take care of someone who can't take care of themselves, every time that we take care of somebody who is vulnerable, has no influence in the community, somebody that is powerless, somebody that doesn't have any, any weight to wield in, in the community, that cannot take care of themselves. And every time we take care of someone who cannot take care of themselves, every time we love someone who cannot love us back, in such a way that there's a return on that investment. Every time we do that, it is a reminder of what God has done for us. Because when it comes right down to it, who is it that's really poor? Is it not every human being? Who is it that is vulnerable? And who is it really, when you come to think about it, literally, 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 that cannot help themselves? Is it not every one of us? The reason that God is on the side of the poor is a reminder that God is on the side of the poor in spirit. And that's why we do it. And that's why that baby was born. And that's why the angel showed up to shepherds was to remind them, to remind them that peace is not some far off, distant, distant, substantialist, hope out there someplace that maybe if you get the winning lottery ticket, you might get it. But that, that, that peace, that shalom is a reality. And that as God continues to work through His people in bringing peace to them and builds His church of, 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 of people that are the recipients of that peace, that that peace makes its way out into the world as a light in darkness. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe you haven't experienced that kind of peace. Don't, don't go to bed tonight with, without knowing that peace with God that, that, that transcends everything, that, that helps you overcome every obstacle. It doesn't take the obstacles out of the way, but it helps you be able to go right through the middle of them with a poise and a buoyancy in life that you didn't have before because of the presence of the one that was born in Bethlehem.
is in your life. If there's any way that our church can serve you tonight, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and praise God together. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a rock that's cleft and no soul is left. Water share. Tis for you and me and its stream I see. Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to fountain free will you come tis for you and me thirsty soul hear the welcome call tis a fountain open for all you may be seated If you did not have an opportunity to fill out an attendance card this morning, we would love for you to fill one out at this time. If you're a visitor, there's a light blue one. If you're a member, there's a white one in that pew rack in front of you. Please take out one of those cards, fill it out, and just leave it there in the pew. We'll pick it up tomorrow. We'd love to have a record of your attendance. Also, just a reminder that uh, this next Tuesday from 3 to 4 right here in this auditorium, we're going to have a, uh, a Christmas devotional. It's a great time for us all to get together one more time to... To, to think about the greatness of the birth of Jesus and to invite our friends from the community to be a part of that. We'd love to have a full auditorium. We're going to read Scripture. We're going to sing together, have a short message that pulls it all together, and then have uh, some refreshments and, and all of that afterwards, a time of fellowship, and then on to other uh, holiday uh, activities with friends and family and, and uh, co-workers and these kinds of things. Uh, also, uh, just a reminder that this Wednesday night, we are not going to have any of our regular classes. And the following Wednesday night, which is the first, of, uh, the first Wednesday, not only the first Wednesday, but the first day of 2014, we are not going to have any of our Bible classes as well. And so uh, don't plan on being here for the next two Wednesday nights, but then we will resume our regular schedule. The, uh, that would be the 8th of January. And so just a quick reminder to... Uh, to put that in your calendar. If you were not here this morning, did not have an opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing one more song before James Tart leads us in a closing prayer. And during that time, you can pass to this room back here behind me and somebody will be back there to serve you. Let's, let's stand and sing one last song together. <laughs>